0: Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, our study today continues on the topic of perspective shift. We'll be focusing on Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. Let's dig in. Whenever we come to the book of Acts, what we're seeing is we are seeing the start of the church and one of the things that we've said over the last few days is we have to think though a little bit differently about this idea of church because what we think of when we picture church is not at all what was going on then. Essentially what happened then was church was simply uh, a group of people who had heard about Jesus and were trying to learn about him and follow his teachings and so they weren't Protestant, they weren't Catholic, they weren't Presbyterian, Baptist, or or non-denominational. Actually, they considered themselves Jews who had found and followed the Messiah. And so when we come to the book of Acts, what we're seeing is essentially this group or sect of Jewish people who are a part of the broader Judaism, who are essentially trying to wake up the rest of Judaism to their understanding of who the Messiah is, Jesus Christ. But as we travel through the book of Acts and and even further into the New Testament, we begin to see this is is people who were Jews who did not see Jesus as being the Messiah continue on a path, and the Jews who did see Jesus as a Messiah, they, they continue on their path as well, and those paths begin to diverge. And we'll see the beginnings of the foundations of that, divergence in the book of Acts, but we don't begin to see it until later in the New Testament, usually around Galatians and those places where they kind of begin to consider themselves two very distinct things. Now, that information is important to us as we come to our study passage for today, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. We're just going to walk through these because it's kind of a continuation of our story from yesterday. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. Now, we have said, remember, that Samaritans were a very disliked class of people. They considered themselves a different race, a different ethnicity than Jews. There was a whole lot of history there. It was kind of a little like Hatfields and McCoys or uh, maybe some of the longstanding tension between Um, white Caucasian people and African-American black people here in the United States uh, maybe rewind back to the 1950s, the 1960s. That tension that is felt there between uh, ethnicities in the United States is a similar picture of the kind of tension that was felt volatile between the Jews and the Samaritans. So whenever the Samaritans began accepting Jesus' message, because Jews have had to go there out of necessity from persecution in Jerusalem, well, the church starts sending some of its big hitters there. Peter and John were the two main individuals who were in the church in Jerusalem. And so now the fact that they are going right into the middle of Samaria, a place that was very disliked, and whose people were very disliked, really says a lot about what the gospel message is doing in Samaria, and also says a lot about Peter and John, and it says good things, that they were actually willing to go themselves, rather than doing this and letting somebody else handle the message. As soon as they arrived there, verse 15 says, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is kind of a bit of a technical thing. I don't have a whole lot of time to go into it, but in the book of Acts, what we see is, oftentimes the Holy Spirit does not immediately come on people who follow Jesus. Today, our understanding and our experience is is that kind of post-Acts, the Holy Spirit immediately comes to be a part of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So it's not as though there needs to necessarily be a laying of hands anymore or or a baptism in the Holy Spirit in order to receive it. So those, those things following Jesus and the Holy Spirit kind of come in tandem. It's the Spirit of God that invades us as we begin to follow Him. Now, one of the things, though, that is really fascinating and, and cool and, and convicting to me about just what we've already seen in this passage is this, is that following God often means going to places that you aren't always going to want to go. I think that this is a very important thing for us to remember as followers of Jesus Christ, as we, we want God to send us to the good places, to the people who are like us, and to the things that are going to be easy to accomplish. Since this is a conversation about church, I oftentimes hear people characterize going to a new church or going to um, a new Bible study. You'll hear them characterize it when they move and are trying to find a church as, as these people just felt like me, or it felt like it fit or it resonated with me. And and oftentimes what we're talking about there isn't so much that it is the spirit of God that's telling us that this is the church that we're supposed to go to. This is the, the neighborhood that we're supposed to live in. These are the people that we're supposed to kind of interact with. What we're saying there is, is, is these people feel like me. That's how I chose college. I chose college in a place that, that felt right i think it may have been based in some sense on on where god was calling me but a lot of that was it just kind of fit choosing a college is one thing choosing a a place in which to worship and follow god is is a whole other thing we end up in the churches in which we're in because the people oftentimes look like us they worship like us we like the music we we like the singers we like the the people who are on the platform um, they dress like us and oftentimes it is because the pastor resonates with us sometimes that may be what he says or she says or sometimes it may be her age or his age uh, or his or her background education. Uh, where they're from. Are they blue-collar, rough-and-tumble background or or more of a white-collar, prestigious background? Following God often means that you're going to go places that you aren't going to want to go. A white-collar person who's had a very prestigious background probably isn't going to want to go to an urban inner city area congregation. Someone who's white like me probably isn't going to immediately be drawn to an African-American congregation or or to a, a Spanish-speaking congregation or, or to an Armenian uh, congregation. Sometimes, though, God's going to call you into Samaria. And it wasn't that the Samaritans were wrong. It was just that they were different. So I'm not going to say that God's going to call you to a lesser than place. Samaria wasn't a lesser than place. It was only in the minds of the Jews in Jerusalem that Samaria was a lesser than place. But right now, at this place in Acts, the Spirit of God is moving and shaking and doing crazy, amazing things in Samaria which had to fly all over the Jews in Jerusalem. And and it goes that way for us, too. Oftentimes the places where God is moving the most and needs us the most or wants us to experience a breaking down of our prejudices are in places where you're not necessarily going to fit. So if you're choosing a church based on if you're choosing a church basing on based on secondary things you may not be choosing God's church. You may be choosing your church or or something that may not even be a church. The Bible has pretty stringent definitions on what a church is and it's not a building, it's not a worship set, it's not a certain person standing on the platform or or a certain songs that are sung or a certain feeling that you experience there no no uh, a church is is usually described in a very different way it's it's described by people who are living the right way and by living the right way I don't mean being sanctimonious or pious people who are involved in their communities people who are healing agents people who are, relieving oppression for the under-resourced people who are serving others and doing so joyfully not because they have a message to share but because they have a life that they have been called to live. I could preach for an hour on that and how that matches up with our experiences. But I don't have time, we got to go on. Verse 18, when Simon saw, now Simon, we introduced you to yesterday. If you missed it, go back and and review yesterday's readings verses 3 through 13 and and watch the Bible study. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on the people, Simon offered them money to buy this power. So Simon was a magician who was very kind of full of himself, and many people followed him because he said he was the voice and, and the agent of God. But he wasn't. And so the real voices and agents of God show up and and Simon recognizes it and the people turn on Simon and and follow God's true people. So Simon sees the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people and, and Simon wants that. There are going to be a lot of people in churches who want the prestige, or maybe more importantly, they want the power that comes with the leadership office. Now, here it is a very literal power, the power to heal miraculously by the laying on of hands. But power manifests itself in many different ways. And there are many different people who want The power of the office, the power to have people listen to their words, it's a drug for many clergy. The power to have people think highly of them is a drug for many clergy. The power to have reverend in front of the name, to have people think that you are the greatest thing since sliced bread is a drug for many people. And they want that power, they want leadership, they want control, they want to be on the platform, on the pedestal, and so they find themselves not only ending up in positions of leadership in churches, not just the top position, but oftentimes they end up finding themselves chasing against those things and blocking and tackling God's true followers out of those positions. And and the church diverges from the path that God intends and goes down a dangerous road oftentimes when that happens. And so Simon offers them money to buy this power. We laugh at that. This happens all the time in churches, this happens all of the time from people who name the name of Jesus Christ. Let me have this power too. He exclaims So that when I lay my hands on people that they will receive the Holy Spirit. This doesn't just happen in churches, y'all. This happens in every sector. This happens in religious nonprofits. This happens in neighborhoods and communities. This happens in Bible studies. This happens God forgive me, in politics, this happens in every single area in which church people go and where they collect. And it is dangerous because people desire the power that comes along with these places and they are willing to purchase it at any cost. And that cost, that purchase price is not always money people buy power in many different ways. They buy it through gifts. They buy it through leverage, it showing up at birthday parties and and making phone calls and texts and staying in, in touch. They, um, they build up a bank where they'll do something for you, and so now you owe them something. In politics, well, you, you know how that goes and, and what people utilize in order to buy power there. Uh, and it's happening. It's happening every single day in churches. Not every church, but in some, maybe even many. And it's happening every single day in politics, especially as as politicians try to buy the church and church people. They see the power that God has, and they want that. So they say the right thing and do the right things in order to buy followership from people of God. And it's evil. Buying God's power may well be still the church's biggest stumbling block. If we can somehow or other get the person whom we want into a position of leadership in the church, we'll have power. If we can get the individual that agrees with us or the way we think things should be on the board, then God's will will be done. No, it's not God's will, it's your will. If we can get our person into public office to legislate what I see here in my Bible, then God will be happy. God isn't happy with that. You're happy with that. And the danger is, is that oftentimes we think we're God. Not up here, but in our subconscious. Buying power in culture and in the church is the biggest kryptonite that the church faces today. Even now, 2,000 years later, Peter replies to Simon may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought a huge rebuke from Peter you can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord and perhaps terrifying word perhaps he will forgive you of your evil thoughts for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin and that line could be attached to any number of people today Let it not be you. You can't prevent what other people are going to do. You cannot prevent Simons from the world. You cannot prevent Simons from the church. You cannot prevent Simons from being in culture. But you can prevent yourself and I can prevent myself from becoming a Simon. This verse is a warning. Not to Simon, but to all of us. Simon makes the right choice. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that those terrible things you have said will not happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, there it is again, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Peter and John don't just do what they have been asked to do by going to Samaria. They go above and beyond the call of duty. They go far beyond what the expectation was by not just going to where Simon was, not just going to the center of Samaria and being obedient, but they are extravagantly obedient by stopping in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. This, to me, says that not only are they doing what they've been called to do, but their heart has been changed. So many people are just following following just enough just enough to to be called a christian just enough to think of themselves as as being safe go to church once twice three times a year throw maybe a little bit of money on the plate or or do something compassionate do something good for somebody else uh those none of those things are bad things but they're oftentimes not all in Sometimes we don't want to go all in because we see other people who seem to be all in and they're they're crazy, they're neurotic. I don't think that all in means you're the church lady. I don't think that all in means you look like that pastor who's clearly all in. I do think, though, that being all in means... It's a part of every thought and decision that you make. It changes you. My wife and my kids, every decision that I make, they're in the back of my mind. How does this affect them? Is this a good thing for them? How do I navigate the world, my day, my career, my free time, my waking, my sleeping, my TV watching, How do I navigate my day? All of those things are impacted by my family, by my wife and my kids. We're enmeshed in a positive way. God should be that for you as well. Enmesh to the point of maybe being on the border of being unhealthy because there is so much impact in everything that you do and everything that you say. When the church is going on the right course, it's going to care about people, that should say, who everyone says are a problem. This is, um, this is what we see at the very end of this passage, and with this we're done. When the church is on the right course, the church is going to care about people who everyone says are a problem. You see the Samaritans, Samaritans were a problem, but John and Peter care for the Samaritans, not just on a surface level, but they're visiting each and every town in Samaria on their path now. They have had a change of heart. When they get back to their home base, the Jews who are in the Jerusalem church, they are going to likely receive a lot of pushback and a lot of really difficult dislike for having treated the samaritans so well and having accepted the samaritans so well because the jews generally in this time would have rather them remain oppressed or at arm's distance rather than be embraced by the same enormous hug that they would have given to their fellow jews 2000 years later the church is still called to radically and uncomfortably embrace people who others say are a problem. Usually the others who are saying it's a problem in today's world are your fellow followers of Jesus, just like it was back here in Acts chapter 8. It was their fellow people sitting in their church pews, which they didn't have church pews. It was fellow people who were sitting side by side with them, who were looking at the Samaritans and saying, yeah, no, Somebody else can go and do that. That's not our call. Those people are problems. The Bible is clear on the importance of the alien. By the alien, I mean the person who is not a naturalized citizen or a part of your community. The Bible is clear on the need for someone to take care of the widow, That is not just the literal definition of widow or widower, but also those people who have been abandoned by families. There are a lot of people in today's world who have been abandoned by their families and who are alone. The Bible is clear that we are to take care of those who don't have enough, no matter what the color of their skin is no matter what their economic class is, no matter whether we want them in our communities or not, it doesn't matter to God. And it can't matter to us. But oftentimes it's our drive and desire for power that prevents us from doing what God has called us to do. And then we try to find a verse in order to prove, well, I know that there are a lot of political issues out there like, marriage rights, abortion rights, sexual identity rights, immigration, refugees, and I can name a dozen other hot-button issues. I have an opinion on what God thinks of those things, but at the end of the day, as a Christian, it doesn't really matter what our opinions are on those because Acts 8 and so many other places in Scripture show us, we are here to be about humanity. And anything that causes us to do this, to push someone at arm's length, it's Antichrist. There are going to be a lot of people, even inside the church, who look at the way you think of others who aren't like us or who aren't from where you are, who don't look like you, who don't act like you, who maybe vote and do things completely opposite of you. And yet you treat them you treat them with one of these. There are going to be folks around you, even in the church, who look at that and say, you can't be a part of us if that's who you're going to be. I'd rather be with God than against God. This Bible study on Perspective Shift is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy to follow guide in the show notes and we'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the Center of Faith Formation again. Our mission, it's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. When you get over to Christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list there. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our conversation on Perspective Shift. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well, www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young. And this is the Christ Table Podcast.